Hello to all of you out there, and welcome back to the Jam Bass Podcast. I'm your host this week, David Onigman. In just a few minutes, you'll hear my interview with John Darneal, guitarist and lead singer of The Mountain Goats. Me and John chat about his album that comes out tomorrow on Merge Records, Darken Here, as well as two other albums he's released since the start of the pandemic last year. Three records released during COVID. Crazy. If you follow John on Twitter, you'll also not be surprised to hear we have an extended chat about the catalog of The Grateful Dead as well. A programming note that the Jambase podcast is continuing on its modified release schedule, coming into your podcast feeds weekly, not every other week. We're still not sure how long we'll keep this around or if it will could perhaps become permanent, but we just have had so many great interviews ready to rock. We've at least for the time being switched to this weekly format. We hope you've been enjoying hearing from us a bit more often. And if you're listening and haven't subscribed to the Jam Base podcast through your app or service of choice, we certainly would appreciate it. For those of you already subscribed, thank you. You rock. So Jambase is, of course, a proud partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. And speaking of Osiris, if you're not already, be sure to check out their latest release, Alive Again, an inspiring deep dive into the solo works of Fish guitarist Trey Anastasio. Speaking of Trey, I had the pleasure of seeing his return to playing live music in front of an audience this past weekend, as I was able to attend the first two of three performances Trey lined up at the Saratoga Performing Arts Center in Saratoga Springs, New York. And wow, was it a fulfilling experience. I got to see friends and Jambase co-workers I hadn't seen in well over a year, and that by itself would have been a great weekend. But of course, there was music as well. Trey packed the set lists with career-spanning selections from Fish, old classics from his solo repertoire, new tunes from his Lonely Trip album, songs from Cass Fod Voxed, Ghosts of the Forest, and more. There was no advance notice on what the exact format of these shows would be. Would it be just three nights of Trey and his acoustic guitar? Or would he bring along his recent collaborators from the Beacon Jams? That question was answered as soon as fans were let into SPAC that first night, as there was clearly a piano and an electric keyboard set up stage left, and four seats and music stands stage right. Yes, Trey was eager to lean on keyboardist Jeff Tansky, as well as the quartet assembled for the Beacon Jams, affectionately known as the Rescue Squad Strings. Another smile-inducing surprise was in store on Saturday as Fish keyboardist Paige McConnell wandered onto the stage midway through the main set and joined Trey for a number of songs from Fish's catalog. The shows were also Trey's first since the passing of his longtime bassist from his solo band, Tony Markellis. As many of you may know, Tony also was a resident of Saratoga Springs, so I have to imagine these shows for Trey were also like playing with a phantom limb, to quote my friend Alan Hoff. While Trey only seemed to muster a quick couple of words of tribute to Tony on that first night as the ensemble launched into First Tube, a song Tony has a songwriting credit for, he elaborated further on Tony's legacy the following night, including the revelation that Tony really loved seeing Fish play Sleeping Monkey, which led to a nice lighthearted tribute complete with a crowd sing-along and the setless nuance that the duo actually closed the main set with the song, but didn't actually finish it by playing the ending until the encore. I personally cannot say enough great things about how the sets were orchestrated and executed. The format certainly lends itself to be a true tribute to Trey's catalog, both within Fish and beyond. And for someone who has seen well over 100 Fish shows, 
and Trey's solo projects dozens and dozens of times, it is downright refreshing to hear epics like Fluffhead, Harry Hood, Esther, and Foam like you've never heard them before, as well as hearing what a string quartet can add to a simpler song like Brian and Robert. This one is for you If you're just staring at your walls If you're just staring at your walls This one is for you 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 An experience SPAC at 30% capacity was also definitely a treat. It seems like this will be one of the last high-profile reduced capacity shows. I'm happy we're in a place where we can safely close this chapter, but there certainly was something nice about experiencing some of these venues with a little less of the chaos that comes along with tens of thousands of concert goers. And now, here's my chat with John from the Mountain Goats. In case it's confusing, we cut right in as I'm reading to him his commentary when he recently retweeted Jambase. I don't really intro the context of that in the interview, so that's what that is all about. All right, here we go. John, so uh, retweeting the jam bass link because True Heads are noticing that we have become a stealth jam band with singer songwriter tendencies. You know, I liked that. Yeah, I, the thing is, like, it's 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 so funny because we talked, we were talking about it for a while before anybody seemed to notice. It's like, you know, when the Mountain Goats are good now, when they've been playing for five or six minutes on the same tune, <laughs> and, and, and for and you got to understand, like, all of us come from greater or lesser punk and new wave sort of points of reference or folk. And all of that is like a three chords of the truth. If you can't get it done in three minutes, then, you know, then you're doing something wrong. That whole mindset, you know, we sort of come up on that mindset, but if you are, I mean, any mindset that you adopt as a musician early on, if you just cling to it, it's like, okay, here's the thing that was very true for me when I was 16, then that's not good. It's like music is about growth. It's great to have some aesthetic that you that you start with, you know, but you should always be going places and challenging the one you bought into first and so forth. And so, so yeah, I mean, for years, the Mountain Goats never had a song longer than three minutes. And, uh, and I remember cracking four in the studio on Sweden with Rachel and going, wow, we wrote a four chord thing or a two chord thing for four minutes there. <laughs> and that was really, that was exciting for us because I was a Velvet Underground fan. Velvet Underground have proximity to jam, but it's also because it's yes. usually just a two or three chord motoric sort of riff. It's its own. I mean, I don't know if you call that a subcategory or a, you know, it, it's got its own drony sort of Lamont young kind of neighborhood, you know, whereas it's not like the dead who are like, you know, 
in a folk tradition, but are also always growing and expanding in the songs. I was listening to a bunch of deals on my runs this week. And like, you know, that's a very, for a song that's basically a shuffle, right? It's like, yep. it's got a lot going on quarterly. Like there's all these passing chords and stuff, you know? And, uh, but anyway, yes, we are. We're kind of a self jam band at this nice. point. Nice. I, I, I like your I like your use of the phrase proximity to jam. We uh, we we refer to bands as jam adjacent sometimes. Jam adjacent. Yeah, I, I <laughs> love adjacent. Adjacent's a great. That's a good word. <laughs> uh, cool. It's great to talk with you. I um I haven't seen you. Um, I I, I saw you a, a number of years ago when we uh, when we recorded uh, the Terrapin Station Supercut video together. I came and and met up with you with oh, a. Yeah with our video guy and, and another one of your band members and, and you guys ripped through the, uh, the very first line in, in Terrapin for us that we, we did. Uh, I wish I'd have had, I wish I'd have gotten more prep in on that one. It's like, I feel like we didn't exactly spike the landing there. You were, uh, you were, also, you were also sick as a dog and tried yeah. to, and tried to reschedule for the next day. And we, um, and, and we already had something else scheduled. So you were a trooper because well, I remember you, you were, you were very sick. Yeah, I know. God, I remember that. Uh, so, but uh, always getting sick on tour. What's funny about that is like, have been on tour in a year, been <laughs> isolating for, for a year, been avoiding human company for a year. And guess what? I haven't been for sick. a year. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> so, you probably haven't lost your voice either. So no, not once. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's funny when we went to do the live streams, you know, it's like the amount of voice I was able to call on was so cool. You know, it's like you, you just, you get to leave it all on the table. if It's just two nights, you know, so. Yeah, for 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 our listeners who aren't uh, aren't as familiar with the Mountain Goats, John here is one of the uh, the all time great belters or screamers oh, in the, uh, the in the in, actually, in the stealth another, jam band with singer songwriter tendencies category. But that's another thing that's stealth about us is like starting. I would say in two thousand four, and you know it's not for me to say, but I started to become a better singer. I'll say whether I'm a good singer or ever going to be a good singer is not a question. But 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 I started to actually get you know, a little more learned in, in, in what it takes to put a song across at lower volume, you know, uh, how to, how to, my phrasing got better. It's like, to me, there's a song getting into knives called Harbor Me. This is not the song people are going to be yelling for because it is a very down tempo, mid tempo, or not down to very mid tempo, down beat sort of groove track, you know, uh, but I'm really proud of my phrasing and singing on that stuff is that it never really rises above a conversational tone. Sound of the key. Like an orchestral cue Into the daylight Thank God it's you Harbor me When I'm shaken It's another thing. It's like when you get into jammy or music, it's nice where the vocals are part of it, you know, and, and the singer is important and everything, but he, the singing stops being the most important part. It's just there to contribute. You know, it's there to tell some stories and be present, give a human narrative element, but it stops being this sort of, I mean, it gets its own celebrity sort of thing. You know, everybody has whoever they focus on. I always use the dead as the, the, the point of focus is like there's most everybody's focused on Jerry, but you have your own sense of everybody on the stage, you know, but that stuff is less important than what's going on in terms of the interplay and, and how people are playing, you know, and the, Jerry's phrasing. There's a bunch of dead shows where Jerry's got no voice at all. Right. But that doesn't mean he's not doing some good singing. 
you know, he's like, he still, he, he knows his phrasing, he knows his material. So that's stuff I, I think about a lot. That's great. That's great. So let's go take the time machine back 14 months or so. Um, so it was right before the pandemic. Uh, I was reading, it was like, uh, one of your bandmates was, was writing the liner notes and, and they said they were, they were driving, Toward, towards the studio on Super Tuesday and 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 the coronavirus was was just starting to make a little bit of headlines but we were we were before the NBA had started canceling games and then everything yep. else shut down um, and you went down to record not one but two records um, the first was getting into knives and that was at Sam Phillips uh, in Memphis and your one that's coming out now uh, dark in here was recorded at fame uh, in, in Mobile, Alabama. So it was always, I'm sorry, muscle shoals. I was thinking of friend of the podcast, uh, uh, Jake Peavy. I was thinking there's a, there's a song on the record called mobile. So it's yes, yes, that's, that's, that's also why I'm, why I'm getting it confused. Um, So the, the plan was always to go down and record, two records two different studios i'm guessing the plan was also to release them closer to each other i'm guessing these release dates also got coronavirus um so it was gonna be on the the same date okay it was gonna be uh it was gonna be we were gonna announce one and stealth release the other one on release day right because we didn't we're pretty sure nobody had done that and uh and the idea we have some we had some very special shows uh in dc you know you have when you tour the I mean, every city's got its own personality and vibe, but you, have, you do have cities where you go, wow, something's happening. Every time we come back, there's a little more history in the, in that venue, in that town, you know, and at the 930 club in DC, it's just been growing. I want to say the first time it took off was on the duo tour. Me and Peter opened the duo tour there and we were kind of, kind of uh, not sure how it would go over since we'd been touring as a band for a while, but it just popped off. And I think every show since then at the 930 club has just been wild you know just big shows with the energy rising and stuff so we thought we will the tour was going to start there uh and we will you know we'll show up at the 930 club and say guess what there's another album i had a whole staging thing planned where we're going to open <laughs> with the song dark in here um and when i hit the we'd open with the house lights on when i hit the chorus we'd kill all the lights in the building <laughs> so i really like this idea um but instead i stayed home <laughs> So uh, we put the album off and I wrote another album and released it to try and keep my guys paid. Yes. Um, and that was I, the, the, these two records that we were talking about here are sort of your, your, your lush full band mountain goats. And that third yes. record you have released was the one that went back to your trusty boom box that the uh, yes. uh, OG mountain goats r- records all came on. Yeah, it was. And that was really, I gotta say, it's like one thing that was really great about that. When I am working, I get more ideas work. I mean, this sort of explains how I do a lot of stuff is like, if I'm writing, it just seems to produce more writing. Not all of it's great, but, uh, but when there's a lot to choose from, you can find the good stuff. And so if I'm in the studio, I do get ideas for songs and stuff. And I usually just write something down and then I keep that notebook. And then I go, okay, there's some of the good ideas that came up when you were working 16 hour days or whatever. Um, but instead I had an idea during the muscle shoal sessions and two days after I got home, I started to work on it because it was not going to be anything else to do. You know? So, so, uh, so yeah, so I just went directly to it and then recorded in real time. So it was like, you know, that was 10 songs recorded in 10 days. So when you headed down to Memphis and to Muscle Shoals, you already had both records and the songs written for both records ready to go. You knew which tracks were on which record and, and the whole, whole, whole nine yards. Yeah, I had, I had drafted a big 
sort of uh, uh, sort of boardroom uh, uh, Google Docs presentation uh, as to what went where and what the idea was between the two. I want to invite everybody to say, well, if you think there's something that belongs on another one, then y'all should tell me. But they usually have that's usually something that's that's left to me. That's that's my it's my corner, you know. So, and that I remember, like sitting right over here at my at my uh, dining room table, doing that. You know, like, it's time to divide these up. And there was a bunch of them, and it was really time to sort of look at them and decide what went where. You know, because um, I I wasn't writing them as albums. I don't really do that. With with the tape, I did, um, but with these, it was like I wrote a bunch of songs. Well, which ones play well with each other? What when we group them together, where do they? Which ones seem to live where? You know, and so it was. It was. I think they came out really as a great separation but then the other thing that happens is you record them in two different rooms and you have two different mixers and then that lends a very distinct character to each one and one of your sessions you got to play with spooner oldham so can you tell me yeah. what that t- tell me how that went um yeah that's, that's this one that's that's the muscle shoals one that's yeah. him all over all over this record him and will mcfarland who i do <laughs> i mean like if you are a guitar lover the second will starts to play it's like, oh my god <laughs> it's so good you know uh, Spooner, Matt uh, Ross Spang, who produced, has a really profound feeling for the musicians who've been around in the business for a while. He really gets along with them. He's, he's a great historian of, of, of music. And uh, we had Charles Hodges, I'm getting into knives, it's Al Green's organist, right? And uh, but he worked with Spooner a bunch of times. And he loves Spooner so much. To see him in Spooner's presence is to see like what what real love and respect look like among musicians and producers. He just like, he, he just says, Spooner, tell him about the time. And he just gets Spooner telling stories. Spooner's a real soft-spoken guy, you know, uh, uh, just a just a, a good feller. I mean, we're pressing him for information. What's it like to tour with Dylan on the Slow Train coming tour? You know, <laughs> what were the Aretha sessions like? All that kind of stuff. Because he's, I mean, that's this is a dude who's been on the bus with Bob Dylan. During yeah. one of the most, like, this guy played at the Toronto show where everybody's screaming at Bob Dylan for playing Christian songs, and he's delivering 10-minute harangues about the, about the coming of the kingdom and stuff. You know? So, so yeah, he was there, you know. And uh, But the second he starts to play, he's got that sort of effortless quality. Um, you know, he, he looks like a looks like a person fixing a watch, you know. He's just sort of bent over the, the Wurlitzer most of the time. He did also play on Cola Borehole Tower. He plays the, the Hammond. But the Whirly is kind of his neighborhood. And uh, and yeah, I mean, just every every chord he plays, it's it's, it's pretty miraculous because it's one of those things where, you know, like I listen to a fair bit of um, uh, super techie metal, like Animals as Leaders, you know, like, uh, or Jeff Loomis, these guys who, I mean, they play all over everything. They don't, if you talk to them, I'm sure they go, oh, well, no, there's a lot of space in music, but like these guys play a lot, right? <laughs> they like <laughs> to fill up the available space. And I happen to love that, right? As I listen to them tap all day long but um you know uh but spooner is a guy who like you know finds his spot and he'll just press a triad just a major triad and it's where he puts it and the pressure he puts on the on on the keys that like you go whoa if i'd have played the same chord it wouldn't have come out the same <laughs> it's like he really has a touch you know yeah, it's a it's, feel uh, yeah yeah it's it's really incredible he's not you know neither ahead of nor behind the beat he's he's playing you know if uh, we don't charter stuff out that, that often but uh although i actually for getting you knives we charted char- everything out <laughs> but uh but well you had, uh, you had ho- horns and horns and stuff on it you need to write charts for those songs well yeah we had bram geelan who uh he was on in league with dragons and he just 
sort of spontaneously did charts for in league with dragons. So I told mm-hmm. him, Hey man, if you're on the session, you want to do that again. That's useful. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, wow, that's great. So yeah, Spooner, I mean, his Spooner. playing is so it's, I want to say it's subtle, but it, it's, it's very in the pocket, you know, the pocket yep. is this mysterious place in music that people talk about a lot, but like Spooner is, is the very definition of the pocket. He finds the place that that what he's gonna do rests and and then hangs out in there kind of like like Wayne Gretzky uh, behind the net uh, was a place was called Gretzky's office right <laughs> because if you see him there he's getting ready to go to work right? <laughs> so like and that's what he would do he'd set up and he was not real loud about tapping the ice to say pass to me and the one time I saw him play in New Jersey. Like the second he got behind the devil's net, the whole building started to erupt. It was like, no, don't let <laughs> like, you know, because as soon as he did not score that day, but but that was during his prime Gresky's office was kind of that's Gresky's version of the pocket. Like if got I'm it. sitting here, yeah. something sweet is gonna happen. And that's where yeah. Spooner is playing it. Yeah. I think uh, I think if you play on the studio cut of Mustang Sally, uh you uh, you automatically get a diff- definition for playing in the pocket. So that's yeah, uh you know, exactly. I mean kids. That's the thing, the sides that this guy has been on, it's like, oh, I've been listening to that my entire life. When a man loves a woman, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, to have been in the room when that vocal was tracked. Yeah. Unbelievable, right? It's like, this is legendary dude. And, and, and but just as, as humble and nice a guy as you'd ever want to meet, you know? And yes. uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, a peak experience for us. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it, uh, I'm glad it was such a great experience. I, I had no doubt I've never met him or anything, but, uh, when I, when I saw him on the credits, I was like, oh man, that must've been, that must've been great for, uh, great for, for John, John and the guys. Yeah. So but I don't want to show Will short either. Will yeah, is sort yeah, of yeah. Not, as, not as known a name as Spooner. I mean, Spooner's John, there's Aretha sides, but yeah. Will toured with, um, with Bonnie Raitt throughout the eighties and played mm-hmm. with a bunch of people and his, that's, that's his electric all over that song mobile. And, and, uh, I mean, the guy, he is a monster of a player. I met him at a mastering session about 10 years ago and we really hit it off. Like, gotta get, as soon as he left the room, mastering engineer said, that's one of the best musicians you're ever going to meet. <laughs> I was like, oh, where he seems like a nice guy. You know, he's seriously, you should get him on your record. Everything he plays on, he just raises it up. And so, and yeah. And the other thing is that speaking of jammy stuff is like on songs like, um, uh, new Hydra and, um, and Cola Borehole Tower, the destruction of Super Deep Cola Borehole Tower. We're all playing together. That's how we tend to do it when we bring in other musicians. We, we don't want to bring in, I mean, it's cheaper uh, and probably more time efficient to do all the parts and then bring in the ringer and go, okay, here, play on this. And, uh, but it's fun to play with other musicians. So we try to have a few, at least if we're bringing in a guest, you know, even if it's somebody who none of us are really worthy to play with them, you know, but, but we want to anyway. You know, and uh, and and that's what we did on uh, on several of these tracks. It was like me, Spooner, Will, Matt, John, and Peter all playing at once, and that's the groove, man. <laughs> it's like really, and I hope it's audible. It's like Cola Borehole Tower. We're all playing at once. It's so fun. Yeah. Two. One. Two. One. Two. 
Stick right reflective tape to the collar of your shirt Mind your business and you won't get hurt Be true to the things you said you'd be true to Always keep your objective in view It's definitely audible, uh, and that's great that you got to got to live track with uh, with, with both of those guys. That's um, that's that's so cool. So another way that you are uh, stealth jam band, you um, you even when you're out uh, touring behind a record, you have a very deep catalog, and you write a unique set list uh, every night uh, when you're out on tour and playing shows. But this has probably got to be the first time as you're getting ready to go back out that you have three albums worth of material to, to incorporate into your show. So I know you've got some dates on the books. Some are solo. Some are going to be with the band. Uh, how are you going to sort of tackle uh, onboarding uh, this many new songs at once into the live show? So it's, I mean, I'm, 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 uh, I'm presently in that, sorry, I clock went off for some cornbread. I'm making That's fine. Um, so, uh, but, uh, uh, I'm in the process of that. The way that we usually work is that I draw up, we, we get a big email chain going about what does anybody want to play. Then I draw up a, a master list um, of stuff that we're going to learn, right? Then I fail to practice at least five of those songs. I show up <laughs> in the first rehearsal and like John doesn't know his stuff. So uh, it's really embarrassing because I wrote it. <laughs> so, um, and then, um, uh, but yeah, from the master list, I will often draw up two sort of sample set lists that I'll be leaning on and looking at when every night I write one up. So you can't, you could theoretically find enough rehearsal time to go, okay, well, every night's completely different, but more likely the set list has a, has a sort of has a skeleton, right? And it's a pretty substantial skeleton, but, but the flesh looks different. There's, you know, there's, there's different songs that trade in and come out. And then the middle section I'd never write any ideas until the night. Well, not never, but usually don't write any, anything out at all. Sometimes. I mean, the thing is like, that's a function of touring a lot. Like the more you tour, the less you have to worry about set lists. You just get up there and play, you know, but, uh, but for the last couple of years, what I've been doing is I just don't write anything down for the middle of set list. And I play whatever I happen to want to play while I'm up there, which is like, it can be a little, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm either middle-aged or approaching middle-aged depending who you talk to is like, well, <laughs> how fast you can think on your feet does <laughs> so it's like you might just sit there and go, what do I want to play? Shit. I don't know these songs, <laughs> but I'm able to take requests. You know, so and, uh, the, the middle section, when you're out with your band, the middle section is you solo. Yeah. That's me by gotcha. myself. Sometimes gotcha. yeah. I'll bring, um, I will sometimes one will stay with me for the first song or two, mm-hmm. or one will come back in before we bring the whole band back on. It's like, there's not no set in stone rules, but they'll often like for a couple of tours, uh, I can't remember what was in the front or the back of the middle section, but like Matt would stick around and play Wear Black on piano and I would sing it so I could just sing on a company, you know, sing by, uh, without playing anything because uh, I do not know how to play a song guitar. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so it's, it's, it is daunting, especially Peter. He's like, we got to be playing more new songs. They're like, People who've been waiting two years to cash this ticket are going to have an expectation of hearing some songs that they know and love and we're looking forward to hearing before we release three more albums. Right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so, it's like, so hitting that balance is a challenge. You know, yep. it's like it's one way in which I'm not like, you know, I, I think I don't think people I don't think audiences have an absolute right to hear like, you know, 
X number of hits. I mean, obviously, if you come to see the Mountain Goats and you don't hear either this year or no children, then you have cause for complaint. <laughs> there's, there's a sort of a sort of a uh, Un, un, uh, unwritten uh, rule, unwritten rule well, that you got at least one responsibility. It's like <laughs> there are people who are in the room to hear those songs. If they start yelling for those songs from the first number, you're like, oh, come on, man, I'm not going to play it. First right. like, Shut up. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's annoying. It's like, no, no, they're, they're not going to do jumping Jack flash in the first half. So right. Like, right. Um, and but, and uh, th- this year has also taken on uh, a new yeah. meaning, I think, for a number of your uh, of your of your passionate fans. And actually, I think I I saw someone write a write a whole piece about it. I forget I forget who it was, but that it it's become... gonna be emotional to play that one in front of an audience. Like when we played it on our live stream, yeah, set, it was pretty like wow. <laughs> it's got a lot of it's got a lot of a lot of push to it now, you know. So. But yeah, so, so, you know, I've got these master lists and then, you know, Peter, and I'll go back and forth about, about with the content of new songs. Worcester is kind of with me, like Wor- Worcester likes to, to play up-tempo songs that have strong hooks that audiences bounce to, right? That's, that's his zone. Me and Matt like to play what we like to play, like we <laughs> like to play with each other, but I'm also very, I'm, I'm also hyper-conscious of, of the audience's needs and especially for people who've been coming for a long time you know for people who've been coming for 10 years i want them or more i want them to be able to say well i got some from this mountain goat show that i haven't gotten from one before you know it's like it's really important to me that the people don't you know i want it to always be better obviously every night's not always going to be better but you, you do your best and you want at least for for what i want is for somebody who's seen us a dozen times to go wow they did this song and expected here or or this new arrangement of this song is is quite different, you know, or they stretched on this and it was really fun, you know? Uh, and that's the stuff I think about a lot. Very cool. Well, before you go, um, uh, I want to do a, I want to do another Twitter, Twitter follow-up here. Um, yes. and to, uh, and to, and to quote you, uh, while I'm dishing hot takes, the go to heaven version of Althea is the only case within the entire grateful dead catalog in which the studio recording is definitive prove me wrong. So I, I, I tasked the rest of the, the staff here at jam base and said, Hey, I'm going to be, be talking to John from the mountain goats. And, and here's, here's what he's, yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I didn't look th- too much through your replies, but I, 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 I tasked some of the more grateful dead leaning folks at jam base to give me a song and see what you thought about it. Joining, uh, joining that, uh, that list. So, uh, when I got, what what I got a bunch was sort of the, the the Phil Lesh songs, your your unbroken chains and your and your box, box of, of rains. rains, yeah. So box of rain got so little play for being one of the best songs in their catalog. There is a live box that I think, if um, and I don't know what the provenance of the recording is, I'm gonna have to look it up. Uh-huh. But there is one. I feel like they they play it very early in the set, um, and it kind of rules. I mean, but the problem with box of rain there aren't two boxes of rain in the catalog, right? That song is unique within the catalog. It's they, they don't, 
when Robert Hunter is doing mournful, he's usually not in, in, in that sort of zone. I mean, it's a very personal song. Um, and, uh, and the, the, the chorus is just iconic. Um, but let's see where, Oh, three sixteen seventy three. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's my birthday. <laughs> um, and, uh, so they do an eighth in the set right after ramble on Rose. Um, and let's see where else I'm looking. I'm looking in my iTunes of all places. Um, oh, okay. I, I thought you might, uh, I thought you might be looking at a website that I actually, I did not know of until I met you at the Fillmore when we did that Terrapin thing. You told, version? you told me about heady version and you were like, you were like borderline appalled that the jam bass guy did not know about, <laughs> about heady version, but I do now. I do now. So Thanks to so you. Great. So on three twenty six <laughs> they do it again in Baltimore in 73, which 73 for me, I got to say, one reason I want to defend these live boxes of rain is because 73 is kind of the sweet spot for me. They're like 72 obviously is monster. You like it. You like yeah. your one drummer dead. Maybe well, a little I bit. Mean, I love the two drummers, but, but they, they, they lean deeper into the country and Western is sort mm-hmm. of the cracked country thing when they only have the one. And, you know, that's when they're doing some me and my uncles that are absolutely outrageous. You know, uh, they're, they're good. It's not like, I think it's superior to all the others. I, I, I love I was in 88 shows this week, you know, so I, I, guess I will listen anywhere in the catalog. Um, but yeah, I, I will say, I think the studio box of rain, I, I don't know of one that I would, that I'm going to like plant my flag on and go, this is yeah. better than the, than the studio one. The studio one is pretty rich. What else? Oh, we said unbroken chain as well. Sort of that same, that same sort of thing. They only played it very late in their, late in their career. And, and yeah, I don't think they ever, I mean, yeah. When it's one that didn't pull out until late. I mean, yeah. we all, we all wish that the JG had gotten his health together, but those later tours, it's like you're waiting yeah. for the spark to light. And sometimes yeah. it does it undeniably right up to the last yeah. week on the road. There was that guy, what's his name? There's a the website of a guy who, who does mixes of live sets. It's kind of heretical where it's like, it's not, um, it's not full shows. What he does is like puts together a mixtape of versions from the same tour or of, you know, just the solos or just the spacey parts and makes these mixes, right? That they let you listen in a different way. And if you've been listening to full shows for a long time, it can open up new avenues to thinking about it. One of the mixes he made was like, during their last month on the road, the Grateful Dead played a lot of interesting music and nobody really talks about it. People say how Jerry couldn't sing anymore and how he was obviously dying and, you know, but they actually did a lot of good playing. And, uh, and it's true. It's like they were, they were always exploring. I mean, Jerry Garcia is one of the most musically curious guys who ever lived. He's like, was always never comfortable to stay, you know, in his own original zone, always branched out here. And there's sometimes leaning into pedals that, that, that dated pretty quickly, you know, envelope filter sounding stuff that, that, uh, that I happen to like, actually, if you listen to getting into knives and you listen to the guitar on Harbor me, that song I was talking about Harbor me. Okay. Specifically telling Chris Bernard, just do the Jerry thing. Just, just do that. Right? <laughs> nice. Because Chris can do a pretty persuasive Jerry, and, and, but it is all very 80s Jerry. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, what about Ripple as far as uh, recording being definitive? Man, you know, the, the Reckoning Ripple, I the prefer. Rec- yeah. I, yeah. Now, I will say this about that. Reckoning is the first Grateful Dead album I heard, right? I was like 13 years old. I didn't know how to take it, you know, I just sort of knew I was the kind of person who was supposed to like the Grateful Dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I got it and it was like, 
it was so counter to all my expectations of what I expected this band to be. I'm like, this is country music. What is this? But the first song on it that really made me go, oh, no, there's something deep in here with Ripple and the way the audience responds. Mm -hmm. I think I feel like that was at the Warfield in San Francisco. And uh, and there's a very intense vibe between the crowd and the band. And but the other thing is, like, if there's one thing we don't have enough of from the Grateful Dead, it's acoustic sets. Acoustic, Those yeah. are beautiful sets. The Barton Hall acoustic stuff is incredible. You know, uh, the uh, there's there's just like when they played like that, some super magic happened. And I, I would totally, yeah. I mean, I, I prefer the I prefer the singing on the on the uh, Reckoning version. I don't really miss the uh, the, the tremolo picked mandolin that yeah. much. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 beautiful, but yeah. but but the vibe and the other thing is. I'm sorry, but if you get me going on the subject, it's like I listen to a lot of Grateful Dead. <laughs> so, so the 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 thing is, is like one reason that the songs get better live with the Dead, besides the fact that they're so curious and exploratory, is that the songs get history on them. Something with which you have a personal history becomes richer, right? The album version is sort of the template for something that then grows organically between the band and you know within the band talking to each other and between bands and audiences both the broader audience and the individual audiences so when the grateful dead play a song from their sort of breakout big americana record right i mean i guess you could say uh uh working man's is bigger but i think i feel like american beauty is like is a moment in time right mm-hmm. and uh and when they play ripple when they bust into ripple in san francisco right um yeah. something happens <laughs> nine years after it's been out too and it's yeah. a smaller I mean, room and yeah yeah at the dawn of a new decade yeah you know and they've made yeah. so many changes and some people who were there for the ride at the beginning are gone now and ripple is a is a song of parting ways in some ways you know uh it's a you know it's a song of reflection yeah so, that's a, that's a, so that's, a, that's a good point about the the history i was listening i remember when when they put like a, an extended american beauty up on spotify and 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 bob has commentary between every talk every track and he sort of talks about it he's he's talking about candy man he's like and this is well before candy man would become the showstopper that it would become <laughs> later in the dead's career <laughs> yeah well i mean that's what that's the that's the glory of touring and it's something we have really missed over the last year is that like uh, songs do take on a character that they don't have. I mean, it was like, I've, I've told this story a million times, but I grew up with Ben Harper. And one of the first things he said to me when we both started coming up is like, it should always be better live than it is on the record. I don't know that I fully agree with that in all cases, but I think if you're doing something live, it should have something the record doesn't. It should go places. It should continue to grow, you know? And, uh, and it was a, it was a super important conversation to me. Nice. <laughs> like, oh, that's, that's, that's fantastic advice from him. All right. Last one. Um, and, and this one was mine. Um, Touch of gray. 
Um, so I am not conversant enough with live touches of gray yeah. to say if there is a better one. I will say, as dead singles go, like that's that is just a great single. I was, you know, and and uh uh although you could argue the video is live. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh yeah. So I don't know that there is one. I haven't explored that. Gotcha. I, I know I, some 88 shows I, and some, but I don't have one that I can actually stand up. And I say. actually, I, I, I actually used you. I used your favorite website after I came up with that one. So let me, let me ask John about touch of gray. I was like, I wonder, I wonder what heady version says about touch of gray. It was a uh, three twenty seven eighty seven from Hartford. Um, and, uh, and I clicked off to, to listen to it on the archive and, uh, and, and Jerry definitely goes for it when it's, uh, yeah. when, when it's guitar solo time, but to the, but to the spirit of your, of your tweet where in which the studio recording is definitive, whether yeah. w- what, what you think about the, the songs, um, sort of a symbolic meaning in the canon of the dead or, or that space in time, I think like that studio recording has got to be the definitive version of that well, especially song because yeah. yeah because they get a video and mtv i don't know if it's peak mtv but mtv is big at that time and mtv decides to lean in on the video and they play it all the time and it finds them a new audience and new people start showing up at the shows i mean imagine what that must have felt like because i mean that always happens with the dead there's always a new influx of people but i'm 100 percent certain that as business people they're conscious of like whether we're playing the same people who came here last year you know and so forth or whether we're growing enough to meet new people. And, and after that happens, just, I mean, it's, it's a signal moment and it's for the first time it's on the back of a studio track. That's actually like, I don't know where it charted at, but I, I'm pretty sure it was, you know, somewhere in the hot hundred. And, uh, and so, so yeah, yeah. kind of a unique uh, moment in the catalog. I remember. Uh, I, although I personally think Alabama Getaway should have been a much bigger should have been single. a bigger I, hit. I, 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 I'm a I Go agree. To fan. I love Go to Heaven. I think it's a good record. I do too. I do too. I remember. Um, I saw. I went to a panel about music when I was. Uh, I was probably just just graduating high school or something, and it and it was Bob and and, and Trey Trey Anastasio from Fish, Nicholas oh. Payton, the trumpet player, and and Beverly Sills, the opera singer, and oh, no uh, and it was it was a very interesting. It was called the Power of Music. It was at this thing in uh, uh, this panel in, in Connecticut, and I remember oh, cool. I remember Bob talked about the the moment you were just describing about the uh, about the influx of people, um, and it was like it was, it was an interesting crowd. Um, it, it was a little stuffy, but there were also a lot of heads there. And, and and Bob was was talking about that. He's like, and all of a sudden, there are all these people that didn't know dick about us at our shows. <laughs> and the moderator is like, okay. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> that's great. That's a very that's a deeply dead moment. <laughs> <laughs> um all right john well um you're you're playing a show in holyoke massachusetts which is not too terribly far from me i think that's one of your solo ones i'm going to uh i'm going to try to try to make it to that and uh i'll uh i'll lodge a complaint if you don't play no children or uh or this year at that show Uh, it'll you often you have to wait for the encore for one of both of those but uh yeah but that's the other thing i mean that is, I'm a, 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 one of the other things I've, I've learned in recent years as we lengthened our encores is like the encore is generally going to happen if you put in a good show and you're not on a festival. So make the encore something special where it raises, you know, it raises the temperature where it really goes someplace. So often we'll throw both of them into the encore and do whatever else is in mind. And it's like a second set. It's a second mini set just because I jump up and down and yell so much that I can't really do two 90 minutes. That's <laughs> right. yes. but, but uh, although I like, I'm always wanting to, but, uh, yeah. but, I, but I think the, the way that we work is a little more, 
you know, the BPM is a little too high to do that. So. Right. Yeah. Your drummer, your drummer would, would not like Oh you. my God. John can do it. I, I, I played a festival in Cincinnati in crazy heat. I mean, it was like really, really hot middle of the summer in Cincinnati, very muggy and everything. John played with Bob Mould, right. And Mould like played a Husker Du song. He hadn't played in years. Like, you know, those songs are 170 beats a minute. John did a full mold set, came over to our stage and did all ours. It was pretty wow. impressive. That is impressive. I mean, but John Worcester's a beast. That's one of the best drummers around. So nice. All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, for chatting with me. Uh, three three records in the pandemic. You uh, you win. <laughs> I will I will say that I win when I'm in the club on uh, all right. August third, uh, twenty twenty one, Asheville, North Carolina. Ah, like- uh, Asheville's the first show back. Wow, that that's gonna that's a great music town for your. Yes, sir. Uh, for- Asheville, Birmingham, Atlanta are our first three. I'm pretty excited about that. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks for chatting with me, Luke, John. My pleasure, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I'll see you in Holyoke. All right, cool. Take care. Bye-bye. Did you leave your house in order when you came for me? Is this really where you all she wrote for this episode of the jam base podcast thanks to everyone out there for listening many thanks to john for taking some time to chat with us get the new album from the mountain goats dark in here when it drops tomorrow friday june 24th on merge records as always our thanks to our buddy jake alexander for producing this episode we'll talk to you again soon and remember go see live music